0: H.M. Brig of War racehorse was wrecked at Langness on the 14th of December 1822 with a loss of nine men. Three were Castletown men who bravely went out to rescue the crew and a further six were crew from the ship. Some 89 personnel survived the shipwreck. On Perspective this week, we hear all about the tragic event and its commemoration. Sir William Hillary witnessed the rescue and the tragedy is credited for the resulting creation by Hillary of an Isle of Man lifeboat service, which later became the Royal National Lifeboat Institution. Local historian Charles Gard explained why the commemoration is so important.
1: Well, it's very... It's very uh, appropriate, actually, because 200 years ago this December, um, brave men from Castletown went out to rescue a ship and three of them lost their lives. And there's no commemoration for this anywhere that I'm aware of. So it was very appropriate that Tony Brown has uh, thought it fit to do this. And
0: in terms of the resource itself, um, it, it, what was it? HMS or, or yes, yeah, HMS, HMS.
1: A, a Royal Naval uh, ship, um, a sloop actually, an eighteen-gun sloop. And a sloop is a boat with a flat deck with eighteen cannons on it. And um, I looked up the word sloop, and apparently <laughs> it comes from the Dutch uh, "sloopen," which means to glide. So that probably gives you an idea of of how they cut through the water. Yeah. 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 yeah.
0: It did glide. I was was going to say it glid through the water. (laughs) It glided through the water as far as as Langness Mm. uh, and uh, sadly uh, met a rather tragic end. Mm.
1: It really all goes back to 1765 because... That was the year that the British government finally lost it with the Isle of Man and confiscated the uh, many of the rights we were smuggling and we were defrauding the UK government of millions of pounds of revenue a year. So they took the power to govern the Isle of Man and they revested it back into the Crown. So it was the Act of Revestment and the Mischief Act, which I think the clue is in the name there. Um, so the time we get to 1822, the smuggling was... Virtually gone, but there was still a little bit of it about. And in Douglas Bay, here, there was HMS Vigilant, which was a revenue cutter. And she was over here just getting rid of the the final bits of um, smuggling. And she had an accident. Uh, She barged into another ship, and she was not safe to uh, sail too far. And the Royal Navy heard about this. Of course, you had to write a letter to England, which took days to get there and down to the Admiralty. And eventually they said, let's send HMS Racehorse over to escort the Vigilant back to Plymouth where she can be uh, repaired. And just uh, looking up the number of shipwrecks in the British, British waters, British and Irish waters, there are over 50,000 Recorded uh, over many centuries. 50,000 shipwrecks. So you can imagine how dangerous it was travelling by sea before steam engines came in.
0: And indeed before reliable weather forecasts. I mean, exactly. that, that seemed to have made exactly. a big difference, didn't it? Yes, and lighthouses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and,
1: and that's the key that plays in this story because um, HMS Racehorse, with a crew of about 100, it's incredible, 100 people, 100 men on it, set sail from Hollyhead. Um, to come across to the Isle of Man. And um, it was uh, a sunny afternoon. Visibility was good. It was in December, so it got dark early. And eventually, at about five o'clock, they arrived at the calf. And the two new, wonderful lights on the calf were guiding them. Now, they'd only been lit uh, since uh, January 1819, so they are only three years old. They had on board, apart from all these men, they had the captain um, and they had a William Suckling. They had the acting master, Henry Hodder. Now, the master is the man who actually steers the ship, looks at the charts and takes instructions from the captain. But they also had a pilot, a William Edwards. Now, if you're sailing in coastal waters you're not familiar with, you often take on board a pilot. And apparently this chap um, was... A very experienced pilot, he'd been doing it for years, and claimed that he knew Manx Waters. So he was guiding them across. So when they got to the calf at five o'clock, they turned north up the east coast. And at twenty past five, the pilot saw a light to the port, to his left, and decided it was the light on the end of the pier here in Douglas. And he instructed them to turn in. Now, they were concerned about this. Uh, Mr Edwards thought he was wrong, but what did they know? They had a professional pilot on board. They had to rely on him. They hadn't been in Manx waters before. And the light he saw, of course, was not Douglas. I mean, anyone would know. You couldn't get from the calf to Douglas in 20 minutes in those days. The sea was beginning to get rough. And as they turned in, um, someone on board saw white water and immediately knew they were at the coast, the pilot had said they were seven miles out. So this is a story of complete incompetence on this man's part. They turned in and they hit the Skerens, which are rocks just submerged at the end of Dreswick Point, right at the end of, of Langness, and that's when the tragedy hit. Twenty past five, in the dark, a storm approaching, and they were wrecked. Um, they lowered two boats and put most of the men in them, and they rowed away. They, of course, fired their rockets and distress signals. And the men of Castletown uh, responded. Now, these are ordinary fishermen. These are ordinary men who didn't put their own safety first. And this is the heroic work that was also happening in Douglas Bay with Sir William Hillary, who founded the Royal National Lifeboat Institute. These are extraordinary men who straight away go to the assistance. So some of the men rowed across Castletown Bay, others ran out on Langness, and they arrived um, at the point. They could see the lights from the ship, the flares going off. They lit bales of straw. I mean, they're in pitch dark here, uh, With just little oil lamps, you know, it's extraordinary. And one of their boats that they'd brought with them did um, a number of rescues, and it took most of the remaining crew off. It was just that the last Rescue! The last time this little boat, Castletown boat, went out to the racehorse, Um, it took uh, a number of the crew in, but it was hit very badly by a wave and it capsized. And of course, in those days, believe it or not, sailors couldn't swim. Mm. We all, as children, go to the swimming pool and learn how to swim. You could be an experienced sailor and never been in the water. So these men, uh, and, and in fair dues it was pretty rough anyway, they... They were lost, as were three men from Castletown, tragically drowned. And a young lad uh, from the ship had also been sucked overboard um, previously. So it was an absolutely tragic night. And it was only when the captain who did survive got ashore and the other men that they realised they were actually at Castletown. Um, The pilot, before he crashed, said he thought they were up at Clay Head. I mean, the man had no idea what he was doing. (laughs) He later claimed, when, of course, the inevitable inquest came, that he was uh, mistaken by the light of Scarlet House. Now, if you go out to Scarlet, you go through Queen Street and along around the coast to where the um, uh, car park is, you can walk up to the Wildlife Trust building and, and on... Scarlet House is a large house standing on its own. And apparently that night there was a wake happening. A Captain Thompson who'd lived there had died. The house was lit up and he thought, the captain, uh, or or the pilot rather, that this was the light of Douglas Harbour and he turned in. Well, we've puzzled ever since how he could possibly have mistaken the faint oil lamps of uh, Scarlet House to the very effective lighthouse down here on the red pier built by uh steven uh, um george stewart who'd built the castle mona it had one of these modern argand lamps on and it could be seen for six miles but of course if he thought he was seven miles out then um mm. it, it was just a complete mess a complete mess
0: and subsequently um uh, uh, presumably the the pilot did did i mean did did action get taken against him or, or was he uh... oh th-
1: there was an inquest yeah. and um he admitted that he'd made a mistake hmm. he admitted he'd made a mistake he claimed as i say that the lights were from uh, scarlet house hmm. and all that happened was that he was reprimanded and he was fined and uh, the pilot uh, uh, the master henry hodder was also reprimanded Because he hadn't done depth soundings, which he should have done, which would have told him how close he was to the coast. So those two were merely reprimanded. That's all that happened. Mm. Um, Rather like the SIB inquiry. Um, (laughs) Nothing nothing much seems to happen afterwards. Um, Of course, the locals immediately started a fund, a charitable fund for the widows of the three men. And they contacted the Admiralty and I think it was the first time ever, the Admiralty in recognition of the heroism of these men in saving uh, Royal Naval men, that they gave a pension for life to the widows. But the other side of the story is there was a, a, a small amount of looting went on. One of the sailors himself was caught selling off copper and bits and pieces from the boat and others were uh, fencing it, if you like, and they were put on trial, and it's not clear whether they were actually transported or executed, but it was a very serious offence in those days. So that was a, a rather, st- something of a stain on the whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm. And and of course, uh, you know, that sort of thing, looting, would would have happened, it would have been quite common. And, and as you say, with 50,000 wrecks, uh, it would have been something that... Uh, Uh, the people of the Isle of Man would have been familiar with.
1: Yes, but I don't think we did what some of the Cornish were famous for. Uh, They were known as the wreckers because they used to light uh, lights on Mm. the shore to misguide ships, thinking it was a harbour light, and they were then deliberately wrecked, and then they were pilfered. Uh, I'm not sure there's any record of the Isle of Man doing that.
0: No, no, that wouldn't (laughs) be the Manx way at all, no, (laughs) no. Um, so, So, yeah, so it's, I mean, it really is... Uh, a very important uh, commemoration this um i mean the the, the 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 scale of that sort of wreck um, i mean the 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 vessel itself is, mm. it would have been quite an important vessel for the the, the royal navy so uh, they, they must have um, yeah it must have been quite a blow for them to lose absolutely, that
1: absolutely absolutely there is this letter that the captain um captain benjamin uh, william benjamin suckling he wrote from I assume, a room in the George Hotel where they were put up that night. I mean, this is not a letter that any captain wants to write, but he begins, <laughs> Sir, with the utmost upset, I have to report to you the loss of His Majesty's sloop racehorse. You know, when they opened that in London days later, they must have thought, what is going on over there? First the Vigilant, now the racehorse. I mean, how are we going to get out of this? Um, But... I suppose they were inured to these wrecks. They were so common. Mm. And what was happening in Douglas Bay, as I said with William Hillary, if you read those accounts, they are extraordinary. How dangerous it was. You couldn't go from the Isle of Man to Holyhead and actually be sure you were going to get there. Um, There's an occasion when one of the Dukes of Athol came over here and it took him a week Mm. to get here, to Derby Haven, blown backwards and forwards. Uh, you know, thank goodness we've got the steam packet today.
0: Indeed, indeed, <laughs> yes, I'm sure that the the steam packet uh, will. Uh, managed to get you there in more than, more than a week, so, or less than a week, I should say. Yes. Um, yeah, well, well, it is uh, fantastic, and, of course, the the, the, so the exhibition will be taking place down in Castletown, so people can go and find out more mm-hmm. there.
1: And there's the cannon, of course. There is a, a small cannon, which I, I think is being remounted, which the um, divers who, who started in the late 1960s to salvage the wreck. But uh, reading the description of the boat, there must be another 17 cannons down there somewhere because if it was a fully armed sloop it will have had 18 cannon on the deck uh, they're only small uh, and you'll see it if you go to the exhibition so there's probably still a lot more down there but of course currents are extraordinary around there and um, I know the pottery that was picked up has been examined by Dr Peter Davy, and he's found that Uh, the pottery doesn't all come from the racehorse. A lot of it is from a much earlier date. So uh, investigations are going on now to see which other ships were wrecked along there. And, of course, there'll be many that probably aren't recorded. Um, So that's uh, an interesting avenue of exploration still to be explored.
0: Former MHK Tony Brown explains why he got involved with the commemoration.
2: Well, it's interesting, really, because it actually goes back to uh, my early days in MHK, and uh, Moira, who was one of the di- divers who lived in Balasala, used to come to my constituency surgeries. And this was just as as they'd gone down uh, looking for artifacts. And she used to come in with photographs they'd found. So I took an interest then. I didn't know anything about the resources until then. Um, and then it drifted on. Things moved on. I moved on doing what I was doing and nothing really happened except, you know, I was advised about it. Uh, And then um, in the sort of 90s, there was a sort of talk about doing something to recognize it, and nothing came from that. Um, And then I was speaking to Brian King, who was uh, one of the original divers who actually located the the wreck back in the, um, I think it was late 70s. And uh, he was telling me about the 200th anniversary coming up this year, uh, which I, again, wasn't really aware of. And he was concerned that there was nothing being done to... uh, recognize it so I said to Brian that's okay leave it with me I'll go and sort something out Um, and which is as you know is what I do Uh, and I put together a small group and we sat down and had a talk about it and I have to say uh, we're a group of four two didn't know anything at all about it and one did and uh, we went through it and all and we came up with the idea of uh, on the 14th of December 2022 which is exactly 200 years to the day of the loss of the racehorse, that we would have a plaque unveiled in Castletown down on the quay. And that's what we've been working towards. And there are two things. One is the unveiling of a plaque, which is a public occasion. And the Lieutenant Governor is uh, unveiling the plaque because, again, it links to a Navy ship. Um, But the plaque also commemorates, importantly, not only um, the uh, nine men who lost their lives, uh, but actually names the three men from Castletown who lost their lives who went out to rescue people um so the whole event then is properly commemorated um, down on the quay
0: and and i suppose the the thing that uh, surprised me really is that there is no uh, commemoration at all of this uh, there's no plaque there's no, no nothing really uh, to to mark what was a, 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 a well in the words of your recent press release uh, quite a a, a, a a significant well most significant uh, incident uh, at, at the time
2: well, absolutely. I mean, it, it had a lot of firsts. I mean, um, when the three Castletown men lost their lives, um, I understand that Sir William Hillary uh, made representation to the Admiralty, and this is back in 1822. Don't forget, not much happened in those days in in terms of looking after ordinary people. And he um, wrote to them, and the Admiralty agreed to give the widows, for the first time ever, the widows of men who'd um, lost their lives trying to save personnel. They weren't Navy men. Um, uh, gave them an annual pension and the three widows then had an income which was lost because their husbands were lost. Um, It also um, resulted in Sir William Hillary uh, pursuing his call for a maritime life-saving organization Um, and uh, as we know you know we have the Tower Refuge in the Isle of Man Um, the first um, sort of official lifeboat service was started in the Isle of Man and of course subsequently um the rnli was born and of course in the year 2024 the rnli will be um, celebrating their 200 years um we're pleased that there are going to be some people from the uk from the rnli in the uk coming over for the event they've been very supportive in um offering any help that they can give or just being supportive of what do what we're doing because it recognizes th- that as well to a degree um and the other thing that's happened out of this is that we have um We've had one relative um, who's come forward from the UK, um, a relative of one of the uh, Navy personnel who lost their life, and they're going to come over um, for the occasion as well. So it, it's really sort of developed in a way as uh, better than we expected, I suppose, really. We've got original divers coming to the ceremony, um, and we've got other interested people who hopefully want to come along and see it. So um, we hope it'll be kind weather for us. It's December, so we don't know. If the weather is really inclement, then you know we will transfer to the town hall for the unveiling. Um, but everything's going well, and uh, it's going to be, I think, really good that we actually have the commemoration. Um, we're going to relocate the cannon at some stage um, to be located underneath the plaque. It's presently located in the speaker's garden, And we want to get a carriage made for it, which will replicate what was the original carriage.
0: And, of course, the um, people who want to find out more um, and can't make the the ceremony, there's the the exhibition, which we're going to hear about from Alison uh, Fox from M&H later in the Mm. programme. That exhibition, how long is that running for?
2: Well, the exhibition will be open to the public from the 15th of uh december through to the 30th of december not open christmas day or boxing day naturally or the sunday um, and it'll be open from 11 o'clock in the morning until three o'clock in the afternoon relatively flexible if there are people in we're going to stay there um, and uh, we've had uh, you know great support from the uh, the commissioners on on doing that in the civic hall um, and it'll be in the town halls civic hall in castle town it's free people can come along Um, There will be some uh, unique artefacts there which are held by the museum, Uh, one being the buckle, and it's the only one in the world as far as we know, a marine's buckle, um, which was found from the wreck, and there'll be pieces of um, guns and pieces of the equipment that they used to use on ships in those days, Um, and we're hoping to have some guns that are... Um, from a a local person on display as well, just to show the type of guns and and cutlasses that they would have had in those days. And importantly, um, a gentleman's just made a new model of um, the racehorse, and uh, that will be on display as well. And Isle of Man Post Office, who have been very supportive, will have uh, stamps on sale and because uh, they've done a series on wrecks anyway. And it helps to link into the racehorse as well, which they've got a, a stamp specially commissioned for that. So uh, all in all, it should be, a, you know, interesting place to come and have a look and find out a bit about the racehorse and very importantly, from our point of view, we don't have the expertise. Uh, very grateful to uh, Manx National Heritage and uh, Alison Fox uh, for all the work that they've put in uh, to put together the exhibition.
0: And in terms of uh, Manx uh, people, there were three Manx people who died, mm. weren't there? Uh, are, are you aware, well, it'd be interesting, first of all, to hear who, who those three Manx people were. At um, Next question: Are you aware of who the uh, of any of their their descendants, and uh, if if there are descendants out there that you're not aware of, uh, presumably uh, you'd be
2: interested in
0: hearing from them.
2: Yes, it would be. I mean, we we've um, we've been looking at that. We've had one of um, our friends researching, and he's done a lot of research at the museum to see if he can link up to uh, any descendants of those who died, the Castle Town men especially. Uh, well in fact, only the castile men um and really has not found anything i mean don't forget in eighteen twenty two there were very little record records of anything um and even in in what what he has found there's been no one we've linked to directly as a descendant of any of the three men that lost their lives. um The only connection we've had is a lady from the United Kingdom who her name is Mrs. Dodd, and she's related to uh, one of the ships crew that lost his life and they're coming over for the ceremony um the men who lost their lives are buried in maloo uh, some of them in unmarked graves um and some of them are are marked um and there's going to be spe- a special church service on the 18th of uh of december at maloo church um at 9:30 in the morning so that'll be good um, and I hope people will take the opportunity to go to that um, because I think that they'll find it interesting. It's a church service, but Brian King, who was involved there, I think is going to speak on some of the background of uh, the racehorse as well. Um, the three men who uh, lost their lives from Castletown, um, they, they were um, only young people, naturally, because uh, what's what, and their name, um, if, if I just have a quick look here, Norris Brideson, Thomas Hall, and Robert Quayle. And they lived in Castletown. Don't forget, in those days, Castletown only have a population of possibly 800 or 1,000 people. So the impact of losing three young men from Castletown had a quite a big effect on the town itself. Um, and these three men um, voluntarily went out in uh, rowing boats to save uh, the crew or as many of the crew as they could. And, uh, in fact, um, it was on the last run that their boat overturned and that's when they were lost that's how the nine men lost their lives we were looking back in the 90s when i was uh, chairman of the manx heritage foundation uh, at uh, a scheme to uh, put together to encourage people to put up plaques to events in the isle of man of which there are numerous important events um, commemorated and of course Um, time moved on and I moved on from that role and we didn't get enough of it in 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 place Um, and one of the ones that we did talk about was actually putting a plaque up for the racehorse and uh, unfortunately at that time we didn't progress it enough to be able to do that so it's quite nice for me um, at this stage to actually now be coming to a stage where that view back in the 90s has come into fruition and uh, the link is still there because of course without the support of Culture of Annan we couldn't afford the plaque and they've been uh, happy to fund the plaque that's going to go up on the wall for us which we're very grateful for and of course very grateful to Department of Infrastructure uh, harbours because they've been very supportive as well and uh, the plaque's going to go on the end of the harbour office in Castletown at the Quay.
0: You're listening to Perspective.
2: Alison Fox from
0: Manx National Heritage told me why they got involved.
3: It was a number of people came to us really. Uh, We had been, we were aware of the anniversary coming up um, about two years ago. We do things as far in advance as we can. And we were wondering about maybe doing some kind of digital offering. Um, The artefacts that were raised from HMS Racehorse uh, from the rec site are within uh, the Manx National Collections. So they're looked after at the Manx Museum. And we were wondering about maybe doing some uh, digital um, exhibition or, or something like that to commemorate the, the anniversary. And then we were approached by Brian King. Brian got in touch uh, a couple of years ago um, because of the anniversary. So we started talking to Brian uh, and then we were also approached by Tony and the Castle Town Commemorative Group. Um, so there was one of this sort of uh, really nice kind of organic projects, really, that grew from a few people's different interests um, but also this growing realisation that it is a, a really important part of the Manx National Collections. Um, and this was a, a really good opportunity, you know, 200 years, to actually get the story. Story out there, and let people see. Some of the artefacts from the ship, the, we're, we're very aware of the underwater heritage is something we all share, uh, We're all very it's all very much a part of our lives on an island, but it's very, very inaccessible because it's under the water. Um, so we were really pleased to start talking with Brian and Tony, but also the Isle of Man sub Club as well, they own the site, they own the wreck site, um, and it was the club in the 1960s and 1980s who raised a lot of these artefacts and donated them. Them, um to the nation as well and this year the uh, subaqua club have been going out and they've been doing new survey work uh, to capture the seabed of the wreck site and also some fantastic 3d underwater photogrammetry as well um, so we realized there was this great opportunity to make this um really significant wreck site far more accessible to people than it had ever been before really
0: and I suppose the the I mean we've we've heard from Charles uh, Guard, we've heard from uh, Tony Brown. Um, what to to your mind is the significance of uh, this particular wreck and the particular event?
3: I think there's a number of strands to this story. Uh, Firstly, it's the fact that it is the only legally protected wreck within Manx waters. Manx National Heritage have been working with local historian Adrian Corkill to incorporate his data into the Isle of Man historic environment record. And Adrian has over 2,000 recorded shipwrecks on his database. and so the racehorse is just the only legally protected one at the moment. So that makes it significant in itself. The story around the racehorse—that uh, you know, that that classic da- tale of heroic rescue, um, but tragic loss as well—is something that's been played out around the coast of the Isle of Man for centuries. You know, the racehorse is by no means the only. Um, the only ship that was lost in these circumstances and had rescuers lost as well, unfortunately. Um, so it's really important to recognise that, I think. And then the final strand is that potential connection with the RNLI as well. Um, so William Hillary, the Manx resident, although he didn't take part in the rescue for the racehorse, um, he'd taken part in lots of rescues of the ships, um, the, uh, including HMS Vigilant, that the racehorse was actually coming over uh, to help... T- to help take back Um, and the racehorse is really seen as one of these catalysts that set William Hillary to work and just being that determined to petition the UK government to say look these people are losing their lives people are being left destitute helping these people there has to be an organisation put in place and less than two years after the loss of the racehorse there was what became the RNLI.
0: So moving on then to talk about the actual exhibition itself, What's, uh, what what can people? Expect to see, and what, what what's likely to to be the treasure that's going to encourage them down there to, to look at this exhibition?
3: I think firstly, the story. You know, we, we, we tell the the, the story uh, in the interpretation, um, so we'll have that side of things. But we will have a number of the artifacts that were raised from the seabed as well, and there's some really quite poignant artifacts in there. Um, we've got things like shoes and buttons. Um, we've got the um, Um, The very personal items are a spoon and a fork, you know, which sort of sound very day-to-day, but these are one of the the few remains of this 100-foot ship that was lost off the Manx coast, and likewise we have uh, the few remains of the ship as well. So we've got some of the ship's equipment, um, things like some of the, the blocks that would have held the rigging together and that would have worked the sails. So we've we've got parts of this, as I say, once, you know, pretty huge ship that now really there's not much left to see.
0: Because of course where the wreck site is um, you know there's, there's some fairly strong currents around there, which is presumably why the wreck site is where it is.
3: Yeah, I mean, if, even going around today, you know, when the tide's in full flow on a boat with an engine it is fairly terrifying. Um, so, you know, in the days of sail where there were no engines to help, you know, there, there were no brakes on ships. Um, that particular part of the Isle of Man is... Uh, is particularly treacherous. And the seabed around there as well, uh, as we know from the underwater filming done by the Isle of Man Subaqua Club, is really uh, quite deep, and narrow gullies Uh, so it's not this sort of nice sandy flat seabed there Um, so a lot of these artifacts were trapped within these gullies and just the footage that people will be able to come to the Castletown Civic Centre and see will give some indication of actually how claustrophobic it is down there not just being underwater um, but how the divers have to negotiate these narrow gullies to get in and around the wreck site itself structurally there's nothing left of the ship um, there was salvage work done uh, a few years after the ship was lost and over the years. And as you say, you know the, the, the tides and the coastline around there um, is particularly treacherous. So there's no shipwreck as such under the water anymore, just the remains of what was once there.
0: And in terms of the artifact, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of uh, things that I can see from the, the picture that you've got, presumably of some of the items that are going to be there. Uh, things there that look a little bit like keys—is that right?
3: Yeah, the, there's all this sort of um, you know random collection of things that the ship was—it uh, was a home to you know about a hundred crew. You know they were on the ship for weeks, months on end sometimes. Um, so they had the personal possessions, but there are also uh, official things. So there's a few keys there, and a lot of the items are actually marked with what's called the broad arrow mark or the crow's foot, which is sort of a, a three-pronged arrow, which signifies that that whatever it is belonged to the UK government it was property of the UK government Um, and that's the kind of thing that helped identify this as being the site of the racehorse itself and not another ship that you know come to grief around that site Uh, so there's there's some really interesting things and I think one of the um, one of the things for me is the um, the the lack of structure of the ship Um, as I say this you know the ship was a hundred foot long, um, it was home to over 100 crew. Um, 200 years later, you know, a lot of the things that we have in the National Collections fit into display cases. Um, and some of them are recognisable, you know, people all see parts of muskets that have been brought up from the seabed, uh, musket balls, a cannonball. Um, but there's other things there that, you know, have really suffered being on the seabed for so long and have just been battered about uh, in the gullies and with the tides. Um, and I think that's quite a a, a poignant reminder of the power of the sea and what it can do
0: Not sure uh, now was it Tony or Charles mentioned that one of the guns is um, um, has been uh, rescued but uh, it, this was an 18 gun ship so does that mean there, there, there are 17 still down there or, or perhaps they were uh, salvaged at some earlier point
3: yeah, well, as I say, there were there was certainly some salvage done. Uh, I think about twenty or so years after the loss of the ship, but there is one uh, cannon or carronade um, that people can still see today. That's actually in the, the grounds of Castle Russian, um, in what's usually known as Speaker's Garden, uh, and it's on the uh, the, the main key side entrance to the Speaker's Garden. And that was one one of the carronades that was raised from the seabed, and you know. There are, we can see from the 3D photogrammetry survey that was done this year, um, we can't see any cannon or carronades down there, but there are a few cannonballs still down there. So all these things find their way into these very steep and treacherous gullies. Um, but it, it was an armed ship, um, but the best place, to, best place to see one of the guns is the Castle Russian Garden.
0: When the exhibition closes, the artefacts will be available to view digitally at the Eye Museum. Island Man Post has produced a series of stamps representing Manx Rex, including the racehorse. Maxine Cannon told me all about producing stamps. The
4: team that uh, bring it all together are, are exceptional and um, our credibility um, worldwide has been recognised um, by the good and the great in the philatelic world, but also the feedback that we get from the people we collaborate with that um, we um we always try to we set out to do our very best and um, as my friend dr tilbury said many many years ago max we never want to meet anybody in a queue in marks and spencers and have to sink below the (laughs) below the mince pies because we've done something wrong so um to do um, shipwrecks of the Isle of Man with so many um, knowledgeable people and to have had such good uh, feedback um, is, is very pleasing for everybody involved.
0: And it's such an amazing, quite well, beautiful uh, picture that uh, Paul Parker has produced for you, particularly for HMS Brig uh, uh, racehorse. Uh, it's, yeah. it's fantastic, isn't
4: it? Well, when um, we first started the project back in um, October 2021, obviously, Mr. Tony Brown had been on our case for a little while. He's hard uh, to say
0: no to, uh, isn't Very he?
4: hard to say no to. And um, actually, it's our pleasure to recognise the um, significance of racehorse in the history of the RNLI as well, because... It was as a result of the sinking of Racehorse that Sir William Hillary um, saw the absolute need for a coordinated effort um, to save lives at sea. And uh, this, therefore, is a very good forerunner to um, our stamp issue coming out in January 2024, for the 200th anniversary of the RNLI, where the Isle of Man is absolutely central to the activities of um, the RNLI in Poole and um, to that extent they're sending um, two people from um, the area coordinator uh, for the Isle of Man and um, uh, Angie Rook who's leading the commemorations from Poole to um, the island next week to be part of the commemoration of Racehorse.
0: Well, that's fantastic too, isn't it, to, to have so many people who are interested in this. Um, it, it's such a shame, isn't it, that, uh, well, it's more than the shame, I think, uh, that it's taken 200 years for uh, proper recognition of the really heroic uh, activity of particularly yes. the, the three unfortunate uh, always, people from Castletown who I died. I always
4: say, everything comes to he who waits long enough. Oh <laughs> well, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and... Um, I say the um the effect it must have had on Castletown at the time, uh, you just can't even imagine so many good men lost. Uh, and some from uh, I think same families. Hmm. Um so um to do it now and um, to actually have a visual record as best we can of the racehorse. Um the um painting was um we were guided by Adrian Corkle. Um, who is the font of all knowledge on out of Man <laughs> shipwrecks yeah. and uh, he uh, suggested that um, a sister ship, the Wolverine be u- of which there was historical reference uh, be used as the basis for um, the new painting and I think um, Paul has just done such a wonderful job uh, setting it in context context on this you now over to the Manx pronunciation Skarain Reef. Yeah, uh, at, I would imagine Skir-ins, Skir-ins, but yeah. Skarain's yeah. Reef um at uh, Langness Point. Uh, and so there it's there now for future generations to enjoy and through the support of Manx National Heritage, um who've who have also collaborated extensively with us on this project um it's there for everybody to enjoy
0: and it's such a beautiful picture isn't it i mean it's well if you can uh describe uh tragedy as as beauty but it is uh, the way paul has has done this he's he's captured the uh the, the 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 sea the the roughness of the sea but also the actual vessel itself uh, which...
4: yes totally and um You know, anyone who's uh, been out and about in the last couple of weeks and seen the magnificent storms and not great things, but I actually think they're magnificent. Mm. Um, if you're standing at a distance and you're not on the Isle of Man steam packet boat, (laughs) then um, watching the waves and um, ships negotiating um, their course through the seas around our island, um, it's a joy to behold, actually, and um. That is captured in the painting, uh, the sense of movement of the ship, um, albeit it was, you know, it ended in tragedy, but um, to see it on a painting um, at this time and to be um, central to the, um, well, to the exhibition that's um, unveiling that's taking place next, next week and the commemoration um, I do have to hand it to it, to the uh, people of Castletown and to the um, whole committee of uh, the Racehorse Commemoration that um, they've brought so much together um, at this time in recognition of the 200th anniversary and brought people who um, have um, a connection to it um, together. It's a great thing. And it was only a few days ago my husband reminded me about the sinking of the alan Vannon and that also took place in december mm. so um december's not a good, good month for boats
0: <laughs> no stay at home if you're planning to travel by sea stay at home
4: <laughs> oh not good news for the steam packet <laughs> um but i uh, and also um i ju- so today we're recording it on the 8th this on the 8th of december and as I was coming into the studio, on it's absolutely a magnificent day, it's very cold and frosty, but clear blue skies, and I saw the Douglas fishing boat fleet coming in to the safe harbour of the Isle of, of Douglas after their day out fishing, and it just reminds you that you know, two hundred years ago, eighteen twenty-two to twenty twenty-two the sea and the um and what it means to the island
0: manx diver brian king was partially responsible for
5: finding the wreck it was a purely accidental we were in i was told about the the wreck by pat chambers from porter from castletown um and he told me there was a gully and he'd be out on Langnes called horse gully and he was told that by ginger brideson while we were in the glue pot so um I so went, good
0: authority then.
5: That was very good authority. and uh, I, He had a date, he wrote to the Admiralty and asked them to check uh, the date and they came back and said, yes, it was wrecked on the racehorse, 1820, wrecked on Langness in 1822. Um, so Pat told me about it, he knew I was into diving or just starting to dive and uh, I went to the museum, looked up the newspapers and sure enough there was the story of the wreck. And uh, from then on, we decided to go and look for it with two friends. Uh, We went down to Langness, and the days when you could camp on Langness without asking anybody, we camped down there with uh, two or three tents, the Stiggants. The whole family came down with Brian. And um, I had Pete Frogley, who was the woodwork teacher from school with me, and Colin McQuillan, who was also a teacher from school with me. He was the boat handler. And all we did, we borrowed a 10-foot fiberglass dinghy and a small seagull outboard, and spent the week down there in gorgeous weather. it happened, looking for any sign of the wreck. Um, we were search had a search pattern worked out, and we found one copper rivet, but that wasn't we didn't realize that that was actually part of the racehorse. Uh, we were looking we had visions of going around a corner, I suppose, and finding an intact ship like the old Spanish galleons, um, but that never transpired uh, anyway, we, we didn't find anything that we realized was the wreck. And uh, we packed up the end of the week. And then about uh, three weeks later, Brian Stigant, who was down with his mates, uh, John and Michael, call it, from Lexi, they were going past a dive on another boat, and they stopped off and had a quick dive. And um, they came across all this debris, which they immediately identified or probably as being probably from the racehorse. And that's how it was actually discovered, and we're talking about 1968. And people, and anyone... Who,
0: who 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 could conceive of diving to try and find a wreck would assume that they'd be finding something that looked a bit like a boat but it's nothing like that is it? Well it, it,
5: uh, it can be but uh, the trouble is wooden boats deteriorated so rapidly I mean there are several wrecks around the Isle of Man that are made of, of the, from this, the steam era and they're semi intact um, but any wooden ship deteriorates very very quickly unless it's buried under the sand I mean, we had to work on the, uh, to get experience, when we eventually got permission to dive it and work it, we had to go and work on the Mary Rose. Um, And, of course, that survived because it was buried under the mud. Uh, We found things on the racehorse, pulley wheels, for example, that were partly buried in the sand, and the part underneath was perfect. The piece above was badly eaten away. Um, But, luckily, most of the stuff from the racehorse was made of bronze. Uh, The wooden hull went. But all the fittings, or a lot of them, were bronze and all stamped with the Admiralty Crow's foot, which identified it as it being an Admiralty ship. And it must be quite a, a, a scary place to,
0: to to go and dive. Certainly, I mean, I'm not. I, I put me toe on the water once a year but mm-hmm. but uh, for, even for an experienced diver going down somewhere like uh, the, the, where the strong currents are off uh, langness it must, must have been quite yeah, quite an a,
5: experience we got the hang of the tides down at langness um it uh, certainly on the on the flow there's no way you can dive because it's coming up from the the, the stack at castle and Port going across the point of Langness, but on the ebb it comes down the outside of Langness and it tends to leave the inside corner, which is the screens, um away from the tide. And diving down there. Uh, the first couple of times, you know, you, you're a bit concerned about it, but actually once you've got the hang of it, it it's great. Um but it's not like the Mary Rose was uh, totally different. Uh this is a mass of gullies, it's like Hampton course maze down there. Um, gullies, some are only 2 feet wide and some are about 30 feet deep some are about 6 foot wide and, and they go down from 10 feet down to 80 feet um, and what people don't realise is there is seaweed only in the top 30 feet so when you get near the top it looks black and gruesome and all sorts of things down in there you think there's some nice nasty fish trying to bite you <laughs> um, but actually once you, you get below 30 feet it isn't there, although part of the wreck is actually in the shallows, but you, once you got used to it and got under the weed, um, it was quite exhilarating. Mm.
0: Yeah, I can well imagine. So, uh, again, for people who who, who don't dive, um, once you get under the sea, we'd presumably it would be getting quite dark.
5: Uh, well, it can be, um, but actually it depends on the weather when you're down. And there are times when, the, if there's been storms, the sea is quite churned up and there's a lot of sand and muck in the water and visibility isn't that good. Um, but generally out there it was superb. I mean the shock we got when we went to the Mary Rose visibility was a foot if of we gosh, were lucky, yeah. um, um, but down on the uh, the racehorse generally in the gullies you're talking 30 40 feet, which is excellent really for diving mm-hmm. terms.
0: And and again diving I mean you talk about potentially as deep as 80 feet um uh, what, what are the, the, the sort of constraints on the dive uh, you know, in terms of how deep you can go and, and how quick you can come back up again?
5: Well um, when you've got you've got a cylinder of air which you can get on varying capacities but basically the deeper you go the more air you use up. Um, but working as times we were working in, the sh- in quite 10 15 feet and we could work for an hour there and not have to worry about any decompression. But other times if you were going down 70 or 80 feet and staying for any prolonged time you would have to come up at a nice steady rate not decompress as such but just come up at a nice steady rate um i once did a dive the deepest i ever did was 42 meters out off port, port aaron um, and i remember there i actually i was with alan Corlett from peel brickworks at the time and i ran out of air at 42 meters sat on the propeller shaft Of the ring wall, (laughs) um, and suddenly panicked when I realised, and had to go like hell for the surface. But uh, say go hell like hell for the surface. We actually went up the shot up the rope and stopped at ten meters, and uh, I shared with Brian with Alan uh, uh, on the air. We've trained for that sort of situation, Mm. and then I had another five minutes at uh, five meters, I think it was. But it was okay as long as you know what you're doing and you don't panic. Mm.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I suppose the the obvious question uh, for for people who maybe it's not obvious to you, but to me it would be
5: um, treasure.
0: What 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 was the greatest treasure as far as you were
5: concerned? Um, I mean, yeah, when I started diving, I think we everybody um, there were galleons being spent, found around Britain. From the Armada and Florida Keys and places like that, and I suppose when I went down there, first of all, I was looking for treasure. But actually, in the case of the racehorse, we never found any monetary treasure. But I think the treasure is the history that went with it, hmm. the legacy. And now, as we know, the history of the RNLI being um, something that's occurred from as a result of that. So, in any, it's played a major part in our history in the Isle of Man and, in fact, nationally. That was a perspective special about HM Brig
0: of War Racehorse which was wrecked at Langness on the fourteenth of december eighteen twenty two. I hope you enjoyed listening to the programme as much as I enjoyed producing it. For now though, I'm Phil Gorn, Maius, and Gaischekrum. Thanks for listening.